Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamp, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 436 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as ever, by former heavyweight world title challenger, Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how are you doing this week, sir? I'm doing great, my man. How are you feeling? Always good when speaking with you, Eddie. It's going to be a short show, I think. Uh, not too much to review. I'm going to be honest, I didn't see too much boxing on the weekend. I didn't like the fact that Friday night was the night with the main fights on and stuff. I was busy on Friday. But I did see a few things, and yeah, there's not too much to preview. But let's dive straight into the review part. Another Thursday night card, two weeks in a row. Thursday night, late late night cards in the UK, early hours of Friday morning. We're going to start though at the Commerce Casino in California, USA. It was live on The Zone. Um, yeah, just one fight really to mention. Friend of the show, Joseph Jojo Diaz. It's another disappointing performance for him now. 33-5 and five with a draw. He loses a split decision over 10 rounds. He had a point deducted for throwing his opponent. Uh, well, yeah to the canvas, you know, slash ropes in, in, in round five. Jesus Campos, the opponent, 25 and five now. Um, yeah, really, really disappointing from JoJo. Um, I don't know what it is, you know. I don't know what it is. It seems like he's not the same fighter he once was, and I hate to say that. You know, listeners know I've got a hell of a lot of respect and time for JoJo Diaz, but... You know, it's it's just been poor performance after poor performance. He obviously has kind of had to move up in weight because he wasn't making weight. You know, he lost his world title on the scales. And um, he was back here, like I say. And, it, it, you know, it's a must-win fight. Every fight for him at this point in his career, this dark chapter, is a must-win fight. And he loses. Like I say, it's a split decision there over 10. But it shouldn't have been a split. It was quite clear for Campos. Um he just outworked Diaz, really. Um, I think Diaz is one of the toughest guys in the sport, by the way. Like he's 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 extremely tough. He's world level tough. But I don't, I, you know, I don't want to see him be a gatekeeper because I think he's a bit better than that. It's just a real shame. But I think that's what he's slowly becoming now—a gatekeeper. Um, so yeah, I don't really know what to say. It's becoming a little bit predictable now. If he's gonna be in, you know, like a toss-up fight, a fifty-fifty kind of fight, you know, the, the the underdog money is worth going for because he seems to just let it slip. I mean, if he if he's in there with a guy that he's gonna beat easy, he'll beat him quite easy. It might make it a little bit difficult for himself, but he'll win. But then yeah, like I say, if 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 he's in a you know in against a live opponent, then. Then yeah, he you know he's been losing lately, so um, 
I don't know what to say really, I don't know what to say, you know, I had him on the podcast, he spoke about his addiction to alcohol, I think that's all behind him now, so I don't know what he needs to change, but something needs to change here, because it's not a good look man, he's a much better fighter than he, he's been showing us lately. Moving now though to Mexico, two fights to mention over here, a bit of a strange one, Maurizio Lara, now 26-3 and three with two draws, a majority draw over 10 rounds against Daniel Lugo, who's now 27-2 and two with a draw. It went 10 rounds. I didn't see this fight. I completely didn't see this fight, unfortunately, guys. So uh, apologies for that one. I did expect Lara to stop him. As we know, Lara can certainly punch. And I looked at Lugo's record. There was nothing on there that stuck out to me like it was going to... You know, it was going to mean it was going to be a tough fight for Lara. So I expected him to win quite comfortably. However, um, apparently, I think I might have read that he was a bit lucky to even get the draw. Um, so yeah, bizarre, bizarre seeing the result there. One fight I did watch though, Adrian Curiel, the Mexican, now 24-5 and with a draw. He was TKO'd in the 10th round of a scheduled 12. He was defending his IBF World Light Flyweight title in that instant rematch against Sivanafi Nonshinga. A real shock, man, a real, real shock. I did say that, you know, he's he's a slight underdog, Nonshinga, and he'll probably win, Um I have to say I was probably, you know, changing my pick as the fight, you know, as the fight was going on, especially around the midway kind of point. I mean, Curiel was picking up the early rounds. He just seemed to be walking forward and, yeah, putting a bit of a dent really in Nonchinga, you know, walking forward on the front foot in Mexico, that Mexican style. You could tell the judges were giving him every round. And Nonchinga was trying to pick his shots, and he was landing some nice shots here and there, but he was just being outworked. It was plain and simple. Nonchinga also had a point deducted for a headbutt in round seven. And then, yeah, in round 10, what a crazy turnaround to a fight. I mean, that certainly needs to be mentioned, you know, with, with some of the best comeback wins of recent times. It was that good. Curiel was certainly cruising to a points decision and it's mad because because um because uh what's his name um Nonshinga was was uh looking very very tired as the as the rounds were kind of going on and it seemed like if anyone's going to get stopped it might be him but um he seemed to just yeah he found I don't know if it was another gear or a second wind or something and he managed to really you know, to turn the fight on its head in round 10, so what a way to win your title back, and everyone's already calling for the trilogy fight, so that'd be, that'd be big business, but it'd be nice if it actually was to happen in South Africa now, you know, Nonchinga's had to go to Monaco, he's had to go to Mexico, let it happen in, in South Africa, though I doubt the money will be there for it, um, Moving now to the final card to mention of the review pie. Went down at the Madison Square Garden Theatre in New York, USA. Uh, let's touch on the undercard Guido Vianello. I did say this one's probably not going to go to distance. He's now 12-1 with a draw. A TKO in the first round against Moses Johnson, who's now 11-2 with two draws. Um, like I say, first round knockout. I think in the end, Johnson was down about three or four times in that first round. The referee really gave him every chance, you know, absolutely every chance to continue. Kept getting him up off the canvas, saying, walk left, walk right, walk forward. Are you okay? Every time he'd ask him, do you want to continue? He'd say, yeah. Um, 
I heard a lot of people saying bad things about the referee's performance. I, I don't know, you know. I watched it again today, and I just, I just thought like, even though Moses Johnson kept going down, he did seem, you know, like he had his wits about him when he got back up, and he was quite convincing that he did want to carry on. But I guess he was just, you know, no match really for Vianello. Also on the card, Bruce Carrington with a fantastic knockout in round four. It was. Uh, for the IBF Intercontinental Featherweight title, the NABF Featherweight title, and the WBO Intercontinental Featherweight title. His opponent, Bernard Torres, now 18-2, and two, down and out in round four. Big right hook from Shushu Carrington, had him on the canvas face down. It was a real nice highlight, real knockout for Bruce Carrington. Also on the card, we saw friend of the show, Andres Cortez, cruise to 21-0. He was able to get the TKO against Brian Chevalier, who's now 20-2 with a draw. It was for the WBO Intercontinental Super Featherweight title. A fourth-round TKO there for Andres Cortez. Very happy for him. Really nice guy. Um, and and like I say, got in there. You know, the, the bookies had it close, and he's gone and dominated Chevalier there. Um, I liked what he was doing, especially in that fourth round, just on, on the front foot, on the prowl, on the attack, you know, all the, all, all the aggression, and and like I say, he hurt him a few times, and the corner were ready to stop it, I don't know if they threw the towel in, or the referee waved it off now, I can't quite remember, but really good win for Cortez there, I tell you what, that could be, you know, top rank's next best fighter at at Super Feather, um, but yeah, you know they've they've got a couple guys in that weight division already. But Cortez is definitely, um, you know, doing all the right things, ticking all the right boxes, and I'm sure a world title shot will be coming for him soon. And talking of Super Featherweight world titles, let's talk about the main event. Oshaki Foster now 22 and two, a split decision win for him over 12 rounds. He successfully defended his WBC world Super Featherweight title. Um, he beat Abraham Nova, who's now 23-2, and two. Nova down in round 12 as well, um, yeah, I didn't know, I said on last week's show, Oshaki Foster in, he was going to be three fights in a row that he'd boxed on a PBC card, I think it was a top-ranked card, and Matchroom, in, in, not in that order, but he, he boxed on all these, all these different promoters' cards, and it seemed like he was just a free agent, willing to work with anyone, and, you know, I didn't realise that actually Top Rank had signed him. So when I said on last week's show that Abraham Nova's a Top Rank guy, maybe if it's close he might get the decision, I didn't realise they'd signed Foster. It's a good signing. Like I say, I think he was with Probellum before, if I'm not mistaken, or or um, Disrupt Promotions or whatever. Um, so, yeah, it seems like they've let him go. He's now a Top Rank. And, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a fantastic addition to their really multi-talented stable um yeah foster's a great fighter but he had some bad moments especially early on in the fight um i think the first two rounds was like one apiece and then nova did start to dominate he's got a very interesting style you know he was a taller guy um he he, he kind of it doesn't look pretty sometimes with nova but he can punch as well you have to respect that power but sometimes the way he'd come in you just thought like well he's open to be countered and you know at times foster was countering him we saw some great uppercuts in the fight 
Um, but yeah, Nova was was doing a lot, you know, in terms of outworking Foster, and yeah, he racked up a bunch of rounds, and you know, I think he was something like I want to say he was eleven to two. So that's just just over, you know, if you put a bet on that, you can just over get five times your stake. And in the actual ring, I looked at the odds and you couldn't even double your money. He'd gone from that big of an underdog into the favorite. But then he got really tired as the rounds went on. And then Foster decided, well, I wouldn't say decided, but ended up coming back into the fight, racking up a bunch of rounds again, and then obviously starting to really dominate and close the show quite well in the end with that knockdown in round 12. A lot of people felt that that had stolen the fight for Foster, but it did still end up being a split decision, though the knockdown didn't actually matter in the end. It would have still been a split decision without the knockdown. So, yeah. It's good to see. It's good to see that there's no real big controversy there. But it was a close fight. It was a close fight. All the best though to Oshaki Foster. I think he's getting better and better all the time. But like I say, um, you know, there's there's still some great fights that can be made. At, 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 you know, in the super featherweight division for him. Um, so yeah, I want to see him again. Like I say, I think the kid can fight. I say kid. Uh, I think I think the the man can fight. He can he can box, and he's quite an exciting guy. Um, and yeah, it's going to be an interesting, an interesting fight seeing someone get in there with him and try and solve that puzzle again. That's it though for the review part. There wasn't too much to go over. It's now time to welcome this week's special guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former light heavyweight world title challenger. It is of course, Mr. Craig Spider Richards. Craig, welcome back on the show, my man. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. Yeah, man. So we last spoke back in November 2022. It's been a long time. At that time, you were you were getting ready to fight Ricard's Bolotniks in a fight that never ended up happening. Obviously, you didn't fight at all in 2023, but you returned the other week with a nice win. Let's talk about it. You boxed Boris Crichton. Firstly, how long was that fight made for? Because it seemed like it just got like announced on fight week, or am I wrong? Yeah, well, it was I got asked probably about two weeks before the fight, well, the Monday before, um, obviously, fight week Monday. Uh, obviously, we was there was talks of me possibly getting a, a fight in, like, February or some point anyway, but there was nothing guaranteed. Then the Monday, the week before, there was like, look, are you fit enough to fight next weekend on the 10-rounder? Do you want to do a 10-rounder um, next weekend? I was like, yeah, all right, cool. I've been in the gym. That's cool. And then, obviously, the next day, after the Tuesday or the Wednesday, he rang back to say, yeah, you'll be fighting Boris Crichton. So I probably got about, I don't know, 13 days. He probably got about 12 days notice. So, yeah, within two weeks, both of us got told. Yeah, because I watched the fight literally just yesterday. Um, I thought your jab was particularly heavy. It was really nice to see that, and it didn't go away. The whole fight, the jab was really heavy. I like the left hook as well to the body that you snuck under his elbow a bunch of times. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, yeah, you got to him in the end, stopping him in the seventh. Crichton had previously gone the distance with Lyndon Arthur on about 48 hours notice, by the way. I think they pulled him out of a hot yeah. yoga class. Um, and then he went yeah. the distance with, with highly touted prospect, big punch in Callum Simpson. To get him out of there, yeah. especially after coming off 21 months inactivity and changing trainer, that's a statement, my yeah. friend. Talk me through the fight. Yeah, well, look, people are saying that, like, the fact that, like, obviously Lyndon had the 10, 12-week camp, his opponent pulled out fight week, and then I heard, I spoke to Brighton's trainer, he said that 
He then got the call on the Thursday. They drove down from Scotland in the car to make the weigh-in on the Friday and then fought on the Saturday and went 10 rounds and was very competitive. I think he even buzzed him twice in the fight as well in that 10-rounder. And then obviously he boxed the other guy on Sky who, you know, he was preparing for that date. He came in, gave him a good 10 rounds as well. And me, I've not been active, been off 21 months and went in there and just got him out there within seven rounds with less than two weeks to prepare for it. Yeah, that is a big statement. Like I say, I talked there about the trainer change. You and Peter Sims were super duper close. I'm hoping that that relationship's still intact. Yeah, yeah, very amicable. We wasn't like we left on an argument or a bad terms. It was just su- not. It was just not suitable to continue at the time of doing what we was doing. Um, like that's why you saw like Tony was there to come and support me ringside with Connor, Cordina, Ryder, um, and a few of the young boys, Jim, George, and Mavin that from the gym as well. The whole match and Jim came down and was sitting literally right behind Shane in the corner, Tony, etc. Uh, bless him and his missus etc came down and supported me um, no we're very amicable I still talk to Tony and all the boys and etc um, it's week in and week out yeah I was going to say I could see those guys sat ringside Craig um, yeah it was it was good I, I thought yeah it must have been amicable they were all there in support big number of them which was nice to see what has it been like though working with Shane McGuigan and why did you choose Shane of all people how did it come about well, I've always watched Shane before I even turned pro. I always noticed him in the corners, like everyone he bought, had in the corners. Now, I don't know what he was doing in the gym, but I noticed the game plans he set out for his fighters in fights. There's always the right game plan. His fighters always got the right game plan in big fights. And I was, me and my cousin used to always notice, saying, oh, that trainer, he's good at game plans, ain't he? He's always sends his fighter out with the right tactics. But as we moved on from there, obviously I came into professional game, etc. I looked at everyone who Shane has picked up and I've seen them always improve. I've never seen a fighter go to Shane and not improve. I've noticed they always get better at Shane. And sometimes fighters actually decline when they leave Shane. So I realised he obviously knows what he's doing. And I was obviously been in the gym for the last couple of years with him, helping Crispin and Spiff of a lot of his camps. Obviously, I've been down there to Spa Lawrence Nicoli, et cetera, when he was with Shane. And then obviously while I'm in the gym, I'm seeing the gym environment and sometimes they would give me bits of advice while I'm sparring and telling me what to do and not to do in terms of using my assets the best I could. Um, I realised he's probably was a knowledgeable guy and knew what he was doing. Obviously, obviously when I got to the stage of my career not too long ago where I realised I needed a, probably a change. Um, funny enough, I was talking to Shane around that period and it was just like, oh, what are you doing? Basically, I was like, look, I'm maybe looking to... But finally, he said, oh, well, you can come down and come down here if you, obviously, um, if you need other options, um, my door's open as well. So I was just like, okay. And as soon as I've done a few days with him, I was just like, yeah, this is exactly what I thought he would be. He's he's improving me within days. And I was like, yeah, he's a good, good trainer. And I just, from then, like, my mind was made up. We already had a relationship before I joined. And then once I joined, yeah, it just all made sense. No, it's great to hear, man. And we had Caroline Dubois on the podcast two weeks ago. She was saying how you're a great addition to the gym and apparently such a nice guy. She obviously doesn't know you too well. Um, (laughs) I want to ask, Greg, I want to ask, what's next? I know it's a bit soon. It might be too soon. But right after the fight, obviously, Eddie mentioned about you fighting Anthony Yard in this five verse five Saudi card. Um, is that is that a realistic next move or is there an alternative plan? 
Well, the five versus five is obviously always up to the matchroom's pick and depends on the weights. And there's a lot of things, variables depending. But it was nice to know that if light heavyweights picked, I'll be their number one choice. So that is a possibility in terms of if their weights picked and, uh, and my fight, uh, my weights picked and I get a match up, then yeah, it looks like that could be an option. So I'd find out that probably in the next few weeks, couple of weeks, if that's my next move. Um, regarding against who, I doubt it'll be Anthony Yard as, you know, he's got things with Boazzi uh, back and forth at the minute. And plus me and Anthony Yard are very good friends as well. So we've always said we didn't really want to fight each other unless it was a millions on the line and world titles was on the line. So obviously if there's other options, we'd always go for the other options than each other. So I don't know if that fight would happen. Um, I don't think that fight would happen with me and Anthony Yard, but I know that Queensbury's got a massive selection of light heavyweights anyway. So we'll just see how that pans out. I'm not too sure. Obviously, I'll leave that to my manager, the promoters, and see what they come back with for me to my next move. And I also wanted to get your reaction on a couple of fights in your division that have happened recent recently. Um, I wanted to get your take on Lyndon Arthur going the distance and losing to Bivol. I'll be honest, I like Lyndon a lot, but I thought he'd get stopped. I couldn't believe he actually went the distance. Um, what did you make of, of yeah both men's performances in the fight itself there? Um, both of the performances was okay. Like Lyndon done what he needed to do to get through the rounds. Biffle was trying to obviously press the action. Obviously, it's always hard to get a stoppage when someone's obviously that it was a little bit negative. Um, Lyndon was so it was hard for Biffle to engage with him to get the stoppage. And I think in the eleventh round, Lyndon decided to then start trying to engage, and that's when he got dropped. And he realised, okay, yeah, let me get back defensive. Um, it's hard to call because Lyndon made it through the 12 rounds, so he done well in that sense. But then, obviously, Bivol, you can't take anything away from him because he's won by 13 points out of 12. It was a 12 round, and I think he won by 13 rounds. So you, you can't win on points any more conclusive than that. 12 round fight, in a sense, he's won by 13 rounds. You can't really be more conclusive. So um, it's it swings around about saying that. And also, I didn't really think it lived up to the hype, but Boazzi Aziz, um, Boazzi in the end, handling business without too much trouble. Yeah. Yeah, he, he boxed quite within himself and won quite comfortably, I felt. Um, obviously, I'm not sure because of the friendship that Boazzi didn't want to press too heavy on him. Um, but yeah, he, he boxed well. He showed his elite level that he is. Um, and yeah. And I wanted to get your take on two fights as well that have been made in your division. It's finally signed and sealed. The undisputed fight, Bivol Baturbiev. Who wins? And how? Very tricky. Before I would have said Bivol, after Baturbiev's last performance, Callum Smith is a big puncher, good fighter, and he just seemed couldn't put a dent in him. And Baturbiev did what he does as normal. So I think there's going to be a lot of variables going to um, play a factor in that fight, like the ring size. You know, Paterbia put an 18-foot ring in with Callum Smith so he couldn't go anywhere. Um, Biv was a big mover, so that won't do him any favours. So it depends on the ring size and which one of them turn up on the night. And then I do like to throw a wild card in because I'm guessing that you're going to probably be be asked about Baturbiev Bivol a million times so I'm going to throw one in that you probably haven't been asked um, it's yeah. on a Queensbury show Ezra Taylor Willie Hutchinson thoughts 
Are they fighting? I've, I haven't watched enough of any of them two. Ah, but are them two fighting? Yeah, yeah, they're fighting. But you, you ain't got to give oh. an opinion if, if you ain't seen enough of them. That's totally fine. You haven't seen them to give an opinion. So, so it'll good. be a... It'll just be a pluck out of the sky and a guesswork. <laughs> okay, no problem. All right, well then, that brings us to the end, Craig. I just want to throw it over to you if you've got any closing words to the listeners before we let you go. Like I say, good friend of mine, good friend of the podcast, and it's been too long. Way too long, but I'm back now. Back came back with a bang, and I'm looking to make this year count, 2024. Thank all of you who keep supporting me, giving me the airtime. Thank you all the supporters who buy merch, who come ticket, support me, just vocally on social media and thank all my sponsors elite fleet care um obviously everlast sports direct sean print town mill team big up there we go big up big up listen craig it's great to have you back on finally thank you so much for your time congrats on your win again and we'll speak again soon thank you Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. Usually the news part, but there's nothing to bring you as of yet. If anything happens from now to the end of the show, then I will discuss it on the outro part. But we're going to start now with the preview part. We're going to start in Tokyo, Japan. Um, and we're going to touch on, I'm going to go straight to the main event, actually. Alexandro Santiago, 28-3 and three with five draws. The guy loves a draw. He's coming off a good win last time out against Nonito Donaire. He did beat Nonito Donaire as well. Donaire didn't look too good in that fight there back in July. It was for the WBC World Bantamweight title. And yeah, he puts that on the line here. Santiago on the road against Junto Nakatani, who of course is 26-0. People will remember him getting that brutal knockout last year against Andrew Maloney with just seconds to go in the 12th and final round. Um, it's going to be good to see him back. I think he's a quality, quality operator. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just great to see him obviously moving up in weight here. He was previously at super flyweight against Maloney, won the world title, defended it once. Now he's up at Bantam. So yeah, the, the sky's the limit for Nakatani. Fantastic fighter. Um, and yeah, he was he was world champion at flyweight as well. So he's just going through these weights and this is his chance here to become a freeweight world champion. So all the best to him. Hopefully he can do the business. Um, but yeah, Santiago's never been stopped. He's a tough guy. And, you know, he's a Mexican, so that says it all. And he's probably in his prime coming off the probably the best win of his career. So should be a decent fight, and I'm sure he's going to be a tough puzzle to solve for Nakatani. Also on the card, Takuma Inoue, 18-1, defending his WBA World Bantamweight title against former champion Jerwin Ancajas, who's currently 34-3 with two draws. Um, Ancajas is the big big underdog he's lost two of his last three fights though they were both to the same man in fernando martinez um and yeah they were at super flyweight and he's here just like um nakatani moving up to bantamweight so be interesting to see what he can what he can offer there um yeah and Cahas, you know he's, he's been a fantastic fighter over the years um, those two losses in his last three, you know, prior to that, he was on a heck of a run. I don't, I mean, I wouldn't count him out in this fight. I still think, you know, if he's a bit more comfortable up at bantamweight, then he's got a real chance against Takuma Inoue. However, Inoue's a really good fighter as well. Um, and yeah, it's going to be a good fight. I really like this card, to be honest with you. And yeah, there's three, if I'm not mistaken, three world title fights on the entire card. 
let's talk about the third one is for the WBO World Super Flyweight title, which is currently vacant. We're going to see Kosi Tanaka, 19-1, and stepping in with Christian Rangel of Mexico, who's 22-4 and with two draws. Only been stopped once. I'm sure that'll be an interesting one as well. Moving now to the Evolution Club in Tijuana, Baja California, Mexico. Over here, friend of the show, Ernesto Mercado, currently 13-0 and with 12 KOs. The only man to take him the distance was Zolasani and Dongani. He gets in with Christian Bielma, who's who's um, 19 and 6 with two draws. He's only been stopped the one time in his six losses. It was to Angel Fierro back in 2021. Um, Fierro's a big puncher, but he has lost... Uh, what's that? He's lost... F- well, he's only won one of his last five fights. He got a draw and three losses in there. Um, but yeah, it's always good to see Ernesto Mercado. That's the reason I'm, I'm, um, you know, mentioning this fight here. But one thing I will say for Christian Bielma is that he once upon a time went the distance with Luis Alberto Lopez. He went 10 rounds with him. So yeah, it'll be a statement if Mercado can get him out of there. All the best to him. He's the friend of the show. And yeah, moving now to this one, it goes down. I will just give this a mention. It goes down at the Opera E. Philharmonia, Podlaska, Bialystok, Poland. Probably saying all of that completely wrong, but former Triple G victim Camille Zerometa, 25 and 2 with a draw, gets in with Abel Mina, who's 17 and 3. That's over 10 rounds there. We're also going to see former Sam Eggington opponent, Prism Slaw Zisk. He's quite a good fighter, by the way. 18 and 2. He gets in with Kamal Urbanski, who is 3 and 1. And also former world champion Christoph Vladarczyk, 64 and 4 with a draw. He's back in an eight rounder at Cruiserweight against Pablo Villanueva, who's 12 and 4 with a draw. Moving now to the Olympia in Liverpool, in Merseyside, United Kingdom. It's going to be on Fight Zone this, a Dennis Hobson show. Um. One fight to mention over here. We're going to see Connor Butler, who's currently 11-0 with a draw. It's for the British and Commonwealth and EBU European flyweight titles. He gets in the ring with former world title challenger and friend of the show, all-round nice guy Welshman, Mr. Jay Harris. So all the best there to Jay Harris. Um, He's had a bit of a stop-start career, really, when you think about it. Obviously put up a fantastic effort against Julio Cesar Martinez, but that was four years ago now, man. Where has the time gone? Come back after that, beat Marcel Braithwaite in a good win, then lost two on the bounce by knockout to these these kind of unknown Mexicans at the time. He lost to Ricardo Sandoval, um, and then he lost to Hector Calixco. Um, so yeah, he, he's back now, like I say. And he's coming off two wins. He beat Tommy Frank last time out. Looked really good there, stopping him in in, in round 10. Gets in with Connor Butler. Um, so, yeah, sh- should be a good fight there. It's, it's obviously in Connor Butler's backyard. Um, I, I think they might share one or two common opponents, though. I'm not entirely sure. But all the best to Jay Harris if he still has something left in the tank, which it looked like he did against Tommy Frank. Then he should win this fight. All the best to him. I'd love to see him do well. And then the final card to mention, it goes down at the Carib Royale Orlando in Florida, USA. It's going to be live on DAZN this Saturday. 
Um, let's talk about the undercard. We're going to see the amateur sensation Andy Cruz back in action. Always great to see him, Eddie. Um, the way they've just thrown him in from you know pro debut in tough fights straight away has been really refreshing. He's 2-0 now. Um, obviously, in his first fight, he boxed Juan Carlos Borgos, who we know has, you know, never been stopped. Took the likes of Keyshawn Davis the distance. Took the likes of Devin Haney, Hector Tanahara, Mikey Garcia, all the distance. And he threw they threw him straight in with Andy Cruz on his on his pro debut, which was really impressive. He won every round there. And then last time, stopping in just three rounds, Giovanni Strafon. He's back though against Brian Rodriguez, who's fourteen and two, not been stopped in his two losses. Um, also has a split decision loss to Angel Fierro. He keeps popping up this week for some reason. But yeah, should be a good one. It's great to see Andy Cruz again. Um, you know, <laughs> I love it when we see a Cuban who fights... I want to say nothing like a Cuban, full of excitement. It's great. He's a real breath of fresh air there at lightweight. It's for the IBF international title, that one, by the way. Also on the card, the return to the ring for Shakram Giasov, 14-0. He gets in with Pablo Cesar Cano. I don't know when Giasov last boxed. It seems like it's been quite a while, so I do want to have a little look. I just haven't seen the name for a while. Yeah, boxed in June of last year, so what's that? Uh, eight months ago, he's, he gets in with Pablo Cesar Cano, who we know has been round the block, um, usually in an exciting fight. Um, coming off a good win last time out, was able to knock out Zach, Zachary Ochoa, though I don't think Ochoa really went on to reach the heights that they once fought. But I never forget when Pablo Cesar Cano just dispatched of Jorge Linares in a round. I remember that fight, that was insane. Um, he, he he sadly didn't really build off of that. But yeah, Giasov, it should be quite interesting, that one there. Good to see Giasov back. And then, yeah, the main event, Edgar Belanga, 21-0, and 0, over 12 rounds against Islands, Pod, or I should say Northern Islands, Podrag McCrory. I think he's Northern Irish. I don't want to upset anyone, but McCrory, 18-0. and 0. I've said it before about Belanga. You know, he looked unbelievable. And just explain to me this, Eddie. How can you knock out 16 people in a row, all within the first round, and then go to distance five times in a row after that? It just doesn't make sense hearing those statistics without even seeing the performances. But I've sat there and seen these performances, and something just isn't the same. Have you ever seen a fighter fall off? Even though he's still winning fights, he's still undefeated, he's going to be the favourite this weekend. But a fighter just suddenly seemed to be missing an ingredient, and I'm not trying to hint at anything there, but it just seems so strange. This He's just fell off. Yeah, well, I mean, kind of. You know what I mean? If you look at, like, Keith Thurman. At one point, Keith Thurman uh, was just, you know, annihilating the guys that were put in front of him. But once he stepped up to the highest level of boxing, and he started fighting guys who were experienced and and and, and tough defend and, and good defensively and stronger and just better overall fighters. Typically, that's what happens. You know what I mean? It very rarely takes uh, it takes like does it very rarely happens that guys are like Vladimir who or, or Triple G. These guys who have crazy high win percentages, I mean, knockout percentages throughout their career, no matter who they face. It's not something that's too common. You know what I mean? Don't get me wrong. Even there are there are other guys who, you know, can do it. And, you know what I mean? Or they, or they fight competition that is, um, you know, like, you know, like maybe not as good. And maybe they get another knockout here, another knockout there. 
But typically, that's what it is. Once the competition gets better and the guys become better, you know, like the competition is better fight, are are better fighters. It typically gets it typically gets harder to stop them, obviously. And I think that's just one of these things that's going on here. You know, I, mean, I think he's, um, you know, still winning, and 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 you know, still capable of knocking guys out. But it's just the competition is now better, and now he has to raise his game and he has to do more things and see if he's going to get knockouts. But um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's still, you know, he's still good. He's still winning. And we got it. We, 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 I mean, I know you, you, you kind of want to worry about it a little bit because he's not knocking these guys out and annihilating these guys like you, like we would expect him to. But, um, you know, it's it's uh, it still wins. As long as he's winning, you know, once he, stay, if he starts losing fights, then we got to work. But, um, yeah, and it, but to a degree it is how you win. And um, as long as the performances are good, then we can continue to say, okay, Belanga is one of the best out there. But uh, yeah, it's, it, it, it's just typically that. And uh, hopefully, he gets you know he continues to to go up, so we can have more fights to watch later. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you bring up Furman. I'll come back to that in just a moment. I was just having a little look there at the odds, and Belanga's a massive favourite. I do think one of these prospects is going to get found out here. I think Podrag McCrory certainly is in with a shout. I know that a lot of people think really highly of him. I think he's a bigger puncher than his record suggests. He's got nine KOs from 18 wins. So a perfect, you know, 50% knockout ratio going on. But yeah, um, I think someone's going to get found out. I'm sure McCrory would love to get some revenge for um, for Jason Quigley, who is the last guy that, that um, Belanga beat. But yeah, you, you touched on it, you know, Belanga's still winning, that's the most important thing, you're absolutely right, but again, we've seen him, you know, getting people out in one round, and then we've seen him getting put down himself, um, when he stepped up competition, he, he doesn't seem to be the same guy, and I think this is going to be a really tough test for him here, if he just walks through McCrory, I'll be very, very, very impressed, um, but yeah, I think someone's going to get found out, someone's going to get exposed, um, but yeah, you talk about Keith Furman, and it just made me have a little look. It's absolutely mad how inactive Keith has been. You know, he's actually had, this is mad, he's had eight fights in the last 10 years. That is mental. Um, he's been so inactive, Furman, and I was a humongous Keith Furman fan. Um, you know, when he was in his prime, I loved watching Keith Furman. He was really exciting. He still knows how to sell a fight just as good as he always did. And he'll be back in the ring next month, coming off two years and two months, two months layoff. And of course, moving up to 154 against Tim Sue. Boy, oh boy. Anyway, that brings the preview part to a close. In part one, we did the review part. Then we welcomed our special guest. In part two, there was no news. We did the preview part just there, though. It's now time for me to come in with the outro, which I'll do in just a few seconds. Okay, and this wraps up episode 436 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A huge shout-out to this week's special guest, the former light heavyweight world title challenger, Mr. Craig Richards. Good to have him back on after such a long time. The biggest thanks of all, though, goes out to you, the listeners. Thanks once again for tuning in. That is about everything, though, from myself. Enjoy your weekends, people. Stay safe, and we shall see you all again same time next week.